Welcome into Locked On Knicks, and we have an awesome episode for you guys today. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we are finishing our discussion with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. He, of course, has his new book, Bubble Ball, which is all about the NBA bubble last year from a firsthand perspective, coming out on May 4th. If you want to check out our first part of this episode, be sure to look back in your feeds. It was a few episodes back with Ben. We talked all about the NBA bubble his experience, what the players were like firsthand in there. It was a very intriguing episode. But Gavin, today we got to pick his brain about the Knicks and get his thoughts on some of the biggest stories going on with the Knicks right now. Yeah, it it was a blast with Ben. We start off talking about Julius Randle, whether he's respected enough nationally. We we never really get into those narratives on this podcast, Alex. I was happy we could do it with Ben Golliver. Um, And then then a little bit on RJ Barrett and his improvement. And finally, we we all fantasize about Kyle Lowry on the Knicks, and we're all in agreement it would be a heck of a fit. Listen to the conversation right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. Be sure to check out our new merch drop on there. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play, announcer-by-day, Nick's podcaster by night. And we are finishing up our convo with Ben Golliver, like we said in the intro. So I will not hold things up any further. Without any further ado, our convo with Ben Golliver about the Knicks. All right, Ben. We also uh, we wanted to get into a team that was not in the bubble, unfortunately for us, and that was the uh, New York Knicks. Um, I just wanted to start big picture. What have you thought about them so far this season? It sounds weird to say this about a New York team and the Knicks in particular, but do you feel like their story this year, at least on a national level, is to some extent being undercovered? I mean, I think just the fact that, at least as of today, who knows if this holds up, they're on track to be the first team in league history um, that going into the season had the lowest Vegas over-under in the entire NBA to make the playoffs. Uh, do you feel like that's being underrated? Maybe the Julius Randle element of it is being underrated? Or, or have you? Do, do you feel like it's been properly covered so far? Well, I mean, if Randle had been an all-star snub, I think you could make the, the argument that he's been underrated. But I think he's gotten his attention, his love. Um, I do think there's like still a baked in level of skepticism about the Knicks where it's like, you know, okay, well, we've seen Thibodeau do this before, kind of squeeze the maximum amount of 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 juice out of his rosters. But then ultimately, like, where are they really going to go unless they add some more talent, right? Or unless a, a player like RJ Barrett takes another leap forward next year. I think there is a little bit of that, like, you know, tread lightly feel from a national perspective, um, just because this has kind of been the Thibodeau blueprint. 
I mean, looking big picture, I think they might be the single biggest beneficiaries of not being in the bubble. I mean, you look at a lot of these other teams that skipped out. Has anybody been better than New York? Um, you know, and it wasn't like it was their decision not to go, but you've got basically eight teams that stayed home. Now, Atlanta had a big offseason spending spree, so, you know, they probably get a little bit of a boost. Um, and, and they've had a nice post-bubble year. Golden State getting Steph Curry back is obviously a game changer for them. But some of these other organizations that were down there kind of in the same spot in the standings with New York that didn't um, that didn't go to Disney World, you know, to me, they they didn't really handle You know, they haven't had that progress this season. I mean, you could kind of circle Cleveland, Detroit, Minnesota. You know, for, for some of those groups, it's almost lost seasons. You know, I mean, Cleveland probably feels a little bit better about itself because the young guys have gotten a chance to mold and and really get some good reps. But I think New York has handled that long layoff just about as well as everybody. And it, it probably starts with Thibodeau having that new blood and new tone coming back after what had been a really hard season. I bet if you pulled the Knicks players, they weren't too upset about the shutdown in March. You know, it was like that season was going nowhere. I felt like RJ Barrett was totally set up for failure during his rookie year. He looked very lost and confused. A lot of times uh, when I would watch him play, it just kind of felt like the game was happening around him rather than, you know, him being an active participant in it. And so for them to be able to kind of bounce back from all of that, I, I do think it's a, a pretty positive story, but it's one that raises the questions that you're describing, which is, okay, well, what does the next step look like? I mean, it's a career year for Randall. How much better can he reasonably be? Is he really a player who can win a playoff series as a first option? If not, is RJ going to be that player or are they still kind of looking to get, you know, kind of those lead, you know, big figures. And I think that's probably what's holding them back in, in the the wider conversation. Um, you know, I think ultimately like a lot of the national talk will start with, okay, well, who's your best player? Do we trust him? And I think that Randall is now capable, he's more trustworthy than he was 12 months ago by leaps and bounds. But I don't think he's scaring people in a franchise, you know, in a playoff series. I don't mean to kind of disrespect uh, him or, or you guys or anything, but like if you draw Julius Randle in a first round series, I think you're okay with that, you know, and, and I think that they still have some stuff to prove from that standpoint. All right, we'll be right back into our conversation with Ben Golliver. But this year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from Locked On local experts and the Draft Network's national experts. Subscribe to the Locked On NFL YouTube page to watch live three day coverage of the NFL Draft, April 29th to May 1st. And now we continue with our discussion with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post. I think that as as fans of the team that cover it in in that respect, you know, we sort of think, have this like uh, Rodney Dangerfield, we get no respect sort of uh, vibe to us sometimes. But I, I do agree. I, I think that, you know, by even getting Randall, I, I think pretty strongly selected for the all-star team. I mean, I wouldn't even say that he was like a fringe selection. It seemed like his selection was pretty safe uh, by the coaches to come into the all-star game. It seems like people around the league have taken notice of the strides that he's made. Um, I was going to actually, you sort of answered it, but I'm going to ask anyway. I, I kind of feel like he's quietly having one of the bigger turnaround seasons that we've seen in recent memory. Um, I mean, I could just speak from a perspective of someone who watches this team all the time that last year, most of that team made Gavin and I want to pull our hair out. And, you know, we would go into our, into our 
post game podcast being like, Oh, how many times did he spin and turn it over today? You know, like what did Julius do to lose the game for the Knicks in this game? And now he's become this indispensable offensive hub that, you know, sometimes even just a, a three minute stretch of him sitting can turn into like a, a 10 point swing for the Knicks because it just spells disaster because of how much he means for what they do on both ends of the floor, mostly on offense, obviously with his, facilitating but that stat has been floating around uh for most of the season that it's like uh 20 points uh i think it's 10 plus rebounds and five or five and a half plus assists plus shooting like over 39 percent from three i think is the stat puts him in company with only uh larry bird and this year's nikola Jokic, who's obviously a mvp candidate in terms of guys that have put up that stat line. Uh, what are, what are just your thoughts on his turnaround this year? Like, I know you had said, you know, he might not necessarily be the alpha that could put the Knicks over the top. And I don't even think many Knicks fans would argue with you on that. I think the most Knicks fans kind of feel like if, if Julius is going to be the main guy on the team, they at least need better supplementary players. Like you would need someone like a, like a Kyle Lowry or something like that, like an extremely high level second guy. Uh, if Julius is going to be your first guy and you expect to actually like win something in the playoffs, but in general, what do you kind of think of his, his turnaround this year and the metamorphosis we've seen him go through where last year he was kind of, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, he was kind of a chucker last year. He was inefficient. He was shooting terrible from three, but jacking up plenty of attempts uh, seemed like he just wanted it all to run through him, but didn't have the skill to do it. And this year, something's very similar in that regard, but also seems way more willing to trust his teammates, uh, is scoring way more efficiently, and is just in general making better decisions, which has made it so that when he does kind of want to take over like that, it's not uh, so big of a deal anymore. So what's sort of like your your overall take on his his like transformation this year? No, it really is a transformation. I saw his first couple of years in Los Angeles. I think I was there when he broke his leg uh, in his debut. Um, and it was a frustrating watch. You know, I mean, you didn't feel like there was uh, a very wide skill set. He just wanted to bully people, put his head down. You mentioned the spin move. I mean, spinning into traffic and getting a shot block. Those were like the two things that I really remember from Lakers Randall era. And then also just getting absolutely destroyed on defense just constantly, right? And, and really not having a position there. You couldn't play him at center, which would kind of make sense if you wanted to go small ball, but he just couldn't do it. Didn't have the right length and shot blocking ability. And then, you know, chasing fours around the court, you know, he could just be exploited in that way too. So, uh, you know, to me, when when he was moved, you know, for, from the Lakers standpoint, like it wasn't really the end of the world. Um, you know, you just kind of not that you're going to write that pick off, but you're like, well, you know, it just really didn't hit. I mean, clearly something clicked for him during that long time off. I think he deserves to be in the most improved player conversation this year. I haven't really sat down and, and looked at who are the candidates, but he's absolutely in that mix. Um, and, and he's, he's improved in lots of small ways. I mean, his, his control and his, his pacing with the ball in his hands is much better. I think it does help that the game is sort of going in this direction where you can have all sorts of point forwards, point centers now that we're seeing, whether it's Jokic, Zion and, and everything else where this has become uh, a less controversial thing to do. So it's almost like, you know, people just expect it. And, and he looks very comfortable as a, as a lead playmaker when he does, you know, kind of fill that role for them. 
he's always had the ball skills, but I, I do think whether it's his confidence factor, whether it's, you know, better spacing around him um, or whether it's just maturity, um, you know, I, I think he has got himself into a much different spot that he did, you know, earlier in his career where it felt like there were blinders. It felt like it was a lot of rushed and, and panicky decisions. And, you know, frankly, there just wasn't as many uh, passing opportunities and that could have been the personal around him as well. You know, in terms of his own scoring, you know, it's one of those situations where when a guy does take a big jump forward, you got to be careful, right? You got to wonder, okay, well, is he going to be able to sustain this forever? Or is there going to be a little bit of regression? And then what does the regression look like? You know, how does that change his value, you know, in future years? I mean, I think at this point, you just ride the honeymoon wave. But I think what's holding him back is, you know, I mean, as a team, New York is still well below average from an offensive efficiency standpoint. And so when I'm looking at the real drivers of success, guys, when they have the ball in their hands, you know, like a Jokic, for example, I mean, that comparison falls short to me because you know they've got a top five offense. He's lifting everybody around him. It's all becoming easy shots. And of course, you don't blame Julius for that because the, the talent around him is is not where Denver's talent is from a you know, a veteran standpoint and, and from a, you know, just a proven weapons firepower standpoint, but that's going to be the next challenge for him is like, okay, you've made yourself into this very efficient individual option. Now it's about leading an efficient team offense as well. And I'd say the same thing about a Zach Levine in Chicago. He's gotten a ton of attention as well. And it's like, all right, well, I understand you're going out there and getting your numbers, but you need to be leading a top 10 offense before we really have to be afraid of you as a, as a postseason leader. Um, and that's, you know, just a natural, uh, a next natural step, but for Randall to even be in that conversation where we're nitpicking like that is major progress because I think for about three or four years there, he was just an empty stat guy who, you know, ultimately he's putting up double doubles that just don't impact wins. And that's certainly changed this season. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were, that, that's exactly where we were at this off season. Like I, I was ready to ship him out and I, I couldn't have been more wrong about it. I, I think it is, it is worth really zooming in on the context in terms of Randall improving his teammates because on a, on a night to night basis, you watch him literally will Reggie Bullock to, to 12, 13 points per night. It, it, it's him doing dribble handoffs, then turning his body to become like a human shield, um, driving into the lane, drawing a double team, throwing it back over his head without looking. Like he, he's been exceptionally good getting some guys going. And, and there's something to be said for that um, translating to the entire team. I would just argue, and I've argued this all year, I, I think the degree of difficulty for Randall is, is it as hard or harder than just about any other player in his class in the entire NBA. Playing with Alfred Payton, I mean, literally, historically, perhaps the worst shooting point guard in modern NBA history, him and Ricky Rubio, both very, and I guess Ben Simmons, all very much in that conversation. I, I think it just, I mean, and, and you can carry it over to RJ Barrett as well. It, it just adds this extra degree of difficulty where it feels like there's always another defender shading his way. And when I look at his shooting stats, you, you would expect some regression down the road. I, I we, There was a stat in MSG the other night. He's made the second biggest jump in three-point percentage from one season to the next in league history. But the thing that comforts me is the is just how hard some of the shots are that he's taking and, and making like turnaround fadeaways along the baseline, um, running down the lane, um, putting his knee up like Dirk Nowitzki and, and draining it with one or two guys in his face. I, I, I'm not sure if he'll ever have a shooting season like this again from three. But I, I think that'll be offset by the fact that he will never have to, if the Knicks continue moving in the right direction, he will never have as difficult of a diet of mid-range shots as he currently has. And, and I think the same theory applies to some extent to R.J. Barrett, who just has, has struggled to get easy looks this year, much like last season, or, or at least easy looks generated 
by teammates. And, and there, there's this insane statistic. Um, Alfred Payton, I think it, it was something like a thousand or maybe not a thousand minutes together, but a whole lot of minutes together had only assisted him 18 times this season. Maybe that number has gone up a little bit over the last couple of games. And, and despite that, not really playing with a nominal point guard and having to rely on Julius Randle for just about any of that creation. And that's been a really good sign for the Knicks that those two have continued to develop their two-man game. Um, RJ has broken out in a major, major way in terms of his shooting. After an early season stretch where he went something like one for 40 from three over four or five games, he, he's hovering right around 38%, but 42% post-All-Star break, Ben. A very long-winded way of asking you, um, what, what, what have you seen in his game in terms of his improvements? And, and then maybe, I mean, maybe a little bit more low-key just because he's not as good overall, but improving it, it, to the same extent that Randall did, which is leaps and bounds. And, and I think arguably changing the Knicks' trajectory and certainly changing the Knicks' thinking this offseason in terms of, well, RJ might just be another guy versus we could have a potential star on our hands. Yeah, I was pretty worried about RJ during his rookie year just because, um, you know, we knew he wasn't going to be the most amazingly athletically gifted, like gigantic above the rim, flying by people. That really wasn't his game. It was more about craft when he was coming out. And, you know, I just kind of felt like, uh, you know, he was just set up for failure as a rookie where, um, you know, you're just kind of driving into the teeth of defense. You don't have a ton of help around you. Um, the game seemed really, really fast to him. It was just kind of uh, flying by him. And a lot of that stuff has changed this year and year two. And that does, you know, there's an adjustment period and acclimation uh, period for second year guys a lot. And so I think that his, you know, step forward is the second best story from the Knicks standpoint. But I think you really hit on something with this idea of the, the point guard situation and, just what a drag that can be on the organization's direction or it's, you know, three to five year plan or, you know, even just the, the effectiveness of those two main guys who are going to be your building blocks going forward. I'm sure you guys have probably talked about this a lot. So pardon me if, if this has already been raised, but I would be very interested in seeing New York pursue a situation like Phoenix did this year where they go out and, you know, look, Chris Paul is not a seven-year plan for the Suns, right? But he is absolutely stabilizing everything that they do. He's, you know, put Booker, set him up every single night in position to succeed. Maybe his numbers look a little bit different than previous years, but he's able to kind of learn from an all-time master and, uh, you know, it's translating to wins. And, And there are other young players, Bridges, um, Aiton are their best selves because Chris Paul has kind of come in there and, and transformed everything and provided a lot of structure. And you mentioned Rubio, and that's what, what kind of triggered this for me because you know repl- Rubio is fine, right? He's replacement level guy. He's going to give you minutes, whatever. But to go from him to Chris Paul and to suddenly shoot up in the standings, that is a model that I think makes sense in a short-term basis. When I'm looking at landing spots for a guy like Kyle Lowry, I would love it for the Knicks young guys if he showed up there. I know he's not on the same level as a Chris Paul. Um, I know he's probably going to come at a, a fairly high price tag. He's going to want a, a real payday in free agency. But I think he would totally change what New New York looks like. I think he would make their young guys significantly better. I think he's still got a year or two of quality basketball left. Not all-star level basketball, not all-NBA level basketball but enough to kind of bring these guys along as a bridge solution. And when you're kind of trying to to search for point guard options for New York this summer, it's going to be pretty tricky. You know, I mean, the guys who are available are not guys you're going to want, you know, from a trade standpoint, because of how big their contracts are. A lot of people have already been locked up early, like Drew Holiday and everything else. So I don't know if you guys have, how you guys feel about the, the Lowry option versus what other alternatives are out there, but 
if that's what they came away with this summer, I'd be feeling pretty good about them, even though you're sacrificing, you know, some degree of flexibility, say on a five-year plan. All right, we're going to take our second break. I just got to remind you all that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar, in case you have not heard, is the best tasting protein bar ever. Don't take it just from me. We had someone on our Fan Friday locker room broadcast this week say that they tried Built Bars based off my recommendation and they love them and have gotten more of them. So it's not just me. I'm not just telling you guys about all this. Anyone that tries them says that Built Bars are amazing. That's because they have so many fantastic flavors. Some of my favorites, cookies and cream, coconut almond, which tastes just like an almond joy. Mint brownie is delicious. Toffee almond. Just so many great flavors to choose from. Every single one of them covered in 100% chocolate. And they are all soft and easy to chew. Give you that candy bar experience without the candy bar guilt. That's because they are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. For example, one of my faves, cookies and cream, 17 whole grams of protein in every bar compared to just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. If you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. The Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey is happening now. Featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irvin, I've heard of him, Jason LaCanfora, and Brian Baldinger. Our local experts for every team make trades and pick the next stars for their team. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Odyssey is your audio home for all sports, podcasts, music, and news that matters to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. I actually, you know, I just brought his name up a minute ago, too. I I definitely think Lowry is a great target for the Knicks this year because I I think to your point, you know, we've seen the Knicks sort of are maybe even arguably ahead of where the Suns were last year. I mean, the Suns, obviously, they, they had their huge, you know, win streak, the undefeated in the bubble, but they really like snuck into that like they were almost definitely not a playoff team. And even with winning every single game in the bubble last year, they still weren't a playoff team. Uh, the Knicks, as it stands, are going to... I, I Okay, I don't want to jinx it. They're like 90% going to be a playoff team this year. Uh, and not really in a fluky way either. It seems pretty merit-based. You know, they, they really grind every game. Their defense is great. Their offense struggles because of that lack of a, a primary playmaker like a Kyle Lowry. And, you know, they get some occasional, uh, you know, good play from quickly, but he's obviously a rookie. So it's it's spotty with him, you know, particularly as a playmaker, which is, you know, his weakest link to his game, I think, offensively, um, whereas he's just a dynamite scorer some nights. Randall, you know, he provides a ton of playmaking and leads the team in assists and everything. But ideally, you don't. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. It's not that you don't always want your big man to be the playmaker because obviously we see that that can work with a team like Denver, but you also want to have your version of a Jamal Murray that can play make as well at the point guard spot. Because if you just have Alfred Payton, who's not a particularly gifted playmaker, it kind of, you know, gums things up sometimes and particularly because he's not a shooter. So you, you also want someone that can function as a shooter when Julius Randall's driving and stuff like that, which Lowry would provide in spades because he's sort of, had that arrangement with him and Fred Van Vliet now where 
you know, they, they sort of share ball handling duties. Sometimes Van Vliet's bringing it down the floor and Lowry might have to, you know, hit a spot up shot, sometimes vice versa. And that's why Van Vliet is also so good in that role um, to where I, I think that Lowry would be a great investment because quite frankly, the Knicks have a ton of cap space coming into this offseason again. Um, and really, what are you going to use it on? Are you going to do the same thing that you did this year and just kind of, you know, push it to the next year? And, and that's fine if you want to do that. But I think they could probably get Lowry on a somewhat bloated like two year deal. And, or maybe a slightly more reasonable three-year deal, which I think would be plenty tradable if they needed to. You know, if some someone comes along in 2022, you know, a player like Kyle Lowry is going to have suitors and you could find some team that has cap space that wants an upgrade and just be like, whatever, just give us a second round pick or something. And you can have Kyle Lowry because we want to go sign player X who's better and we need the cap space. So I'm totally with you. I, I think that that would be a perfect move for them this year. And the best part is, is that, you know, unlike the situation with Chris Paul, where the Suns had to, I mean, I wouldn't say they necessarily got into a bidding war, but, you know, they had to bid against some other suitors and put together a trade package. Ultimately, it wasn't a huge deal. You know, it's, it's not like they gave up a James Harden package or anything, but they did have to give up some assets and kind of make that decision of, okay, where are we at? Are we comfortable enough with where our talent level is to, you know, spend these assets to bring in a high level player that could potentially raise our ceiling to a, you know, a potential elite like playoff contender level. But like, is Chris Paul enough to get us there? Blah, blah, blah. There's all those machinations that go into that with the Knicks. All they have to do is spend some money and that's it, you know, and maybe to your point, you're kind of throwing a wrench in your five year plan to some degree, but you know, you. I think you would have to give Kyle Lowry a truly ridiculous contract for him to ever become untradeable down the line. Uh, so I think if he's on board, that's like a thousand percent a player that I would go for. But Gavin, I, I think I've I've ranted enough. If you want to give sort of your take on this too, no, I'm I'm in total agreement. And um, my my second favorite team is is the Suns. I went to college in the area. I went to a ton of games, and I remember this offseason just being in, in a group chat with some college friends, and they were like, you know, Ru- Rubio, like like they were all excited about Chris Paul, but they were like, you know, what? Rubio was really really good for Phoenix a year ago. Like, are we sure this this upgrade's worth it? Like, Chris is aging. Obviously, next year he has the forty four million dollar deal on his contract. I was just like, guys, you're underestimating. Like, one, just just the know how, the competitiveness the end of game scoring, but two, just the multiplicative effect that shooting has. And, and you're seeing, I mean, we've seen it this year, the cascade around the Suns roster. Life is so much easier for Devin Booker. Life is so much easier for DeAndre Ayton. Mikhail Bridges is driving down the lane and, and using those extendo arms to dunk from like six feet out. The bench guys are, are going off game after game after game. And it's because you're operating with, with four or five out at all times. And, and the Knicks have been the antithesis of that this entire season. And, and it would have been, I mean, last year, to your point, Ben, I mean, when we talk about R.J. Barrett's development, it, it was it was a horror show because Randall couldn't shoot anywhere close. He, he was sub 30% from three, and you still had Elf, you still had Mitchell Robinson constantly stationed near the basket, and maybe the next step for the Knicks is to eventually get a stretch five of some sorts. But the biggest thing is just ensuring their four perimeter guys, to some extent or another, are a threat from three-point range. Kyle Lowry provides that. And then everything else. And, and and to your point, just just from a leadership standpoint, you, you saw just the sheer emotion that Toronto had at the idea of him potentially leaving and the kind of competitor he is. I mean, if we want to bring this podcast full circle, and I think we'll, we'll just about end on this, he, he was the guy, personally for me, who, who my opinion changed about most 
in the bubble. I always saw him in the playoffs as someone who was just, all right, I mean, he's he's solid, but always destined to lose to LeBron James. Doesn't necessarily show up on a game-to-game basis. E- even in that playoff run with Kawhi, I was I was kind of of the opinion this, this was very Kawhi Leonard-driven, and, and Lowry had that great game six, but outside of that, um, wasn't necessarily consistently amazing throughout those playoffs. And then last year, just a just a total badass against the Celtics. And he had Toronto in a series along with Fred Van Vliet that I would argue they had no business being in. And, and he just made shot after shot after shot. Even even if that guy is a little bit older, a little bit more grizzled, maybe maybe loses a little bit of that scoring ability and, and someone who who never really relied on athleticism, but but could be a little bit of it away from from struggling a bit more in terms of getting to his spots and getting to the rim. But someone who's just so strong, so smart, such a good shooter, such a tough player defensively, always willing to lay his body on the line. I, I think the Chris Paul comparison is an extremely apt one. And I think mentally, on top of their games being very similar, I think mentally they bring a competitive edge that I – I think would just be a great cherry on top for the Knicks because Tibbs is already sort of instilling that up and down the roster. I think RJ Barrett is very, very much of that mentality already. I think Randall increasingly is of that mindset. I think Lowry would really cement it, give the Knicks an identity and to Alex's point, do do so without gambling their future away. So I'll, I'll throw it to you, Ben, on that note. I mean, just any final thoughts about, about the Lowry thing or, or just how bright the Knicks' future might be in general and what their timeline is for um, consolidating the assets they have versus just sort of letting things play out and and, and, and taking all these picks and, and, and working on development and, and sort of those two worlds they're, they're maybe trying to straddle over the next couple of years. Well, look, if three people agree on an idea on a podcast, it better happen. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, it's so, <laughs> it's, it's so rare over. to get that. Yeah, it's so rare to get that. We, we better see this actually uh, unfold. It, it does seem like one of the most natural landing spots for him. And uh, I think that there would actually be kind of a shared competitive desire with him and Thibodeau, too. Like, I kind of think they, they view the the world the same way. Obviously, Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler had a, you know, a really profitable uh, relationship together for years, uh, you know, before things got a little bit messy in Minnesota, obviously. And I think that Lowry and Jimmy are kind of cut from the same cloth. Um, so I would love to see that happen. In terms of the the Knicks' longer term, you know, blueprint, this summer matters a lot. You know, I, I think that they're in a situation where they're going to have a real choice, right? We've got some young players. I know the new front office is really high on some guys like Quickly. I mean, here, I see all those reports. Um, you know, this is a, a pretty unique opportunity from New York, given their cap space situation and the fact that there aren't going to be a lot of other teams that can really make splashy moves. So you want to get this summer right, no matter what. And I would resist the temptation to slow play it too much because just personally, I like their core. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by their young players, but none of those guys necessarily like blow me away. Right. And so I do think you, you really want to just make sure you're taking another step forward um, to I guess, uh, solidify your relevance, right? I mean, one thing we can say for sure about the Knicks this year is they're not a laughing stock like they were in previous years. They're not a punchline. The focus isn't on ownership like it has been in years past. It's been on the players and the coach, and, and rightfully so. That's how it should be. And I think that you can't take that for granted. That's not guaranteed to last forever. So this is the summer to go out there and do something that's really going to solidify it. I would love that Lowry move for for precisely that reason. It gives you a real clear direction for the next two seasons. Look, Tibbs always goes day by day. Everybody knows that about him. And so I think he would be on board with that kind of an injection of talent. And then you can kind of play around the edges and maybe you're a little bit more of a destination team, or at least uh, you start to change the perception of, of the Knicks as an organization. I mean, I know KD took those shots about, look, this is, you know, this is a Nets time now. It's not really the Knicks time anymore. 
those kinds of reputations flip real quickly in the NBA. I mean, we see stars moving constantly. And I think longer term, the Knicks want to get themselves back into a situation where they're a landing pad, right? If a player like Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota just decides, hey, enough's enough. Um, this isn't going anywhere. The Knicks want to be in the mix for a player like that. If Devin Booker, after the post-Chris Paul situation in Phoenix, decides, hey, I'm ready for my next chapter. If you're the Knicks, you want to be positioning for that. And it's not a coincidence I'm just mentioning Kentucky guys. I think you guys understand the deal there as well. And so that's why this summer is so important. You know, Make sure you're, you're kind of seen as a, a franchise that's doing it the right way, that you know is committed to winning is is player friendly and the focus is on the players and if you can kind of make those moves this summer then you're setting up some you know maybe some bigger and splashier moves uh, a few years down the line uh that's that would be my game plan if i was the knicks and we'll see if they go that direction all right ben well that i think is as good a note as any to end this pod on you've been really generous with your time coming on and Talking bubble and a pretty lengthy Knicks conversation. That that uh, worked out being a pretty long uh, bit of talk there, but really happy to have your opinions on everything. Again, uh, your book Bubble Ball comes out May 4th, so people can pre-order that now if they'd like. Do you want to sort of give like the elevator pitch for that and maybe your social media and all that stuff before we send you off? Yeah, no, we talked about it, but it's a it's a time capsule look at one of the most important seasons, in my opinion, in NBA history and just the weirdest year of my life. So it's a little bit of first person uh, viewpoint. You kind of ride along with me through the entire experience from, you know, being stuck in that hotel room quarantine right up through the championship, uh, you know, celebration and, and everything in between. I think if you like basketball, you'll like this book. Um, you know, it's a basketball book first. But of course, we talk about the social justice activism, the health stuff and and everything else. Um, if you want a preview of the book, you go to my Instagram at ben.goliver. I kind of unbox it and, and show off some of the pictures that I took that are actually in the book and a few other features as well. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Goliver. And I just really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, of course, Ben. Yeah. It, it was it, it was a blast. And uh, hopefully hopefully we'll get you back soon. Maybe, maybe when the Knicks have Kyle Lowry, we can do a three-person celebration pod. Yeah, you guys can spray me with champagne. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. All right. Thanks, Ben. All right, guys. Take care. All right. Really appreciate it. Bye.